So several months ago, we had a dedication in worship. Uh, Andy Vitas, who's sitting up here in the front row, uh, one of our elders on session, and his wife Erin and their daughter, their oldest daughter Riv, came with their younger daughter Kiriana to dedicate her to God. And I want to read to you the first half of the prayer. You're seeing Andy pray right there, and this is what he prayed. He prayed, Heavenly Father, today we dedicate Kiriana as your daughter and servant. Our prayer is that this church will nurture in Kiri faith in your goodness, a hope in eternity, and an abiding love for Jesus. And when the world says to her, you are a random accident, may your church testify that Kiri is fearfully and wonderfully made. When the world says, search for fulfillment, may your people tell her of a narrow gate and an ancient path that leads to life. When the world tells her you are unloved, may these witnesses remind her that she is always precious in your sight. Now this prayer is striking to me not only because it comes from the heart of a loving father and mother, it also is a prayer not only for Kiri, this is a prayer for the church. To be the people that will do these very things for Kiri. For us to become the people that God created us to be in the world and for one another to do the very things that Andy and Aaron prayed for, we have to actually be very intentional about growing and being transformed by God's love. It doesn't just happen, does it? By doing nothing. We're going to be in Genesis 1 and 2. And notice how in his prayer, he said, when the world says to her, you are a random accident. May your church testify that Kiri, as we heard in Psalm 139 last Sunday, that Kiri and all of us are wonderfully and fearfully made by God, knit together in our mother's womb. We are starting this month with a focus on God's love very intentionally at the very beginning in the creation story that we find at the beginning of Scripture. You know, there are many ways of telling the creation story. I saw a book, I was looking things up online, as you do when you research anything, and there's a book that's called Creation Stories from Around the World. There are creation stories put together by the ancient world of Babylonia, ancient Greece, stories that have come out of India and Japan, ancient stories by the Maori people in New Zealand, by the Cherokee people in our own homeland, different ways of telling the story of our beginnings. The Hebrew way of telling the story of our beginnings, we find in the first two chapters of Genesis, Two different ways, but we're going to be in the very first chapter. I think today, if we were to think about how we tell the creation account in 2015, I think we tell it best through the minds and the research of our scientists. I had the privilege of going over to Switzerland to visit Uli and Sylvia, when Uli Wunschwinens was over there doing some work, he actually works with Slack. I'm kind of coming to you, Uli, because I'm going to actually ask you a question. He doesn't know I'm doing this. 
But Uli is one of those brilliant people, we have many of them in our church, who's doing research on the beginnings of creation. And this is a linear accelerator that's 17 miles underground, and he did the eighth grade version of explaining to me what this is and what kind of work they're doing. So I'm now going to challenge you in like a sentence to say what CERN is doing that is, has anything to do with our beginnings. Do you want to say something? Can you stand up and then they can actually see you exist? Okay. All right. Um, this is going to be a very long sentence, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at CERN, we are actually trying to understand really the physical origins of of the universe and how we can, um, in essence, connect what we see, the world that we see today with the state of the universe in its very early time, literally seconds or earlier after the um, creation, which in physics we call the um, Big Bang. And of course, nobody really knows, including the physicists, what really happened then, what really it is, what really caused this, uh, this event. But we are with our small human minds trying to un understand how this came about and how it connects to the world we see today. Isn't that great? See, he's a great teacher. Does that all make sense? So I think that's what we're doing today in terms of our creation account. We're really trying to understand how things came to be. And we have this amazing science and technology era that's helping us do that. We are going to hear in just a moment through a dramatic reading of Genesis 1 into Genesis 2, the creation account put together by the Hebrew people, and you need to know that they put this creation account together with a particular purpose in mind and with a particular paradigm in mind, and it was not biological, and it was not genealogy, and it was not history, and it was not science. They are talking about the beginnings and our creation. They are talking out of their experience of the living God and the covenant relationship they've had with this living God. And so they are writing this creation account about our beginnings in God's love. And so I want you to hear it. I'm going to invite up three of our high school teachers that go to this church, uh, Jason Murphy, Denise Moronis, and Sarah Cowie. And we're going to do a dramatic reading of Genesis 1 because we didn't want you to fall asleep when I read the whole passage. So listen, I'm going to pray, and we're going to listen to God's word. Let's pray. God, we pray that your creative word would be at work among us right now in this place, creating in us a receptivity and an openness to be the amazing creation you intended. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God, God said, Let there be, and there was. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And, and there, there was, was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God said, Let there be, and it was so. God called the dome sky. 
and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God, God said, said, Let there be, and, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. God said, Let there be, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind, bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was, and there was evening, evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God said, Let there be, and it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there, and there was, was evening, evening and, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, of every kind, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. God, God said, Let there be, and, and there was. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there, and there was, was evening, and, and there, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God said, Let there be, and it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then, then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So, so God, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, so God, God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God said, let, let there be, and it was so. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, 
Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God, God said, let, let there, there be, be, and it, it was so. so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there, and there was, was evening, and there, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And, and on, on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Thank you. So we switched it up a little bit, punched some things, put some emphasis on some things, because that's what the text did in its repetition. And I want to call out some things that will help us see that in this narrative, in this song, in this poem, uh, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, uh, telling the story of our beginnings, they're telling it in a way that is helping us know that we came out of God's love and were made for God's love. Now, how do we see that in this particular passage? I'm going to point out three things. First of all, the fact that we are made from God's speech. You heard us reiterate or punch with all of us together in unison saying, and God said, let there be, and there was. This is not a manufacturer creating an object. It's not even like a quilt maker creating an incredible quilt. Maybe it's more like a mom and a dad having a baby. And out of their own being, comes this amazing miracle and their lives are forever changed because of one another as one writer put it the creator and creation have to do with each other decisively and neither can be understood apart from the other you can see and hear this covenantal relational coming from the voice of god when we say the word vocation vocatus vocalized it means we're hearing our calling god called us into being what is that calling why am i here interesting to me the vocatus means voice karios means career and it translates into racetrack what do we want a career or do we want our calling god's voice relational intimate calling us close second thing male and female made in god's image that is the crowning centerpiece of this passage. And if you actually had your Bibles open to Genesis 1 and 2, you would see even structurally, it's set off in poetry. And three times you have the verb create, create, create. It says, and God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. It's like punch, punch, punch. This is so important. It's so much the centerpiece of what God has done. And it's even more startling because the Hebrew people had such a resistance to anything made in God's image. Remember, it's built into the Ten Commandments. You will make nothing in God's image. And yet right here in the Genesis story, we're made in God's image. But it's not that we are exactly the same as we are similar to, but more importantly, there's relationship here. A mirroring in such a way that we can participate with God and even become more and more like God. 
So you have this covenant, and you see that God wants to be known, experienced, and through the rest of Scripture, I will be your God, you will be my people. But the third thing I want to point out is that it is not coercive. You do not hear that kind of language here. It's inviting. And God said, let there be. And there was. Nothing dictatorial here. Richard Rohr writes this. He says, the people who know God well, the mystics, the hermits, the prayerful people, those who risk everything to find God, they always meet a lover, not a dictator. God is never found to be an abusive father or a manipulative mother, but a lover who is more than we dared hope for. Isn't that what we see God coming toward us in the face and person of Jesus Christ? All the things that horrify us now and then in the Old Testament, isn't that more of a projection of cultures and things? But God says, no, this is who I am. This is what I look like, and it is pure love inviting not compelling inviting and freeing love a lover but a lover calls for a response from the beloved right if we see god here as a relational love source of love it calls for a response from god's creation and tragically, we see in the rest of what goes on in the biblical story and in our own story that there's a mixed response to God and God's love. I appreciate the rest of the prayer that Andy and Aaron wrote in Kiri's dedication. I'm going to read to you the latter half of that prayer. And should she waver, may they, he's talking about the church, they both are talking about the church. May they be her shield of truth. And should she stray, may they, the church, kneel in prayer and call her home. And should her soul ever crumble, may they, the church, fortify the citadel of her heart. Moment by moment, may they be for Kiri, the body of Christ. Recognizing in this prayer, we all waver and stray. We don't intend to. We intend to be faithful, to continue those things that keep us centered in God's love. But then you start a new sport or a new hobby. You are training for a marathon. The training happens on Sunday morning. Then pretty soon you're gone a lot of weekends, and then you're gone for the summer. And as a friend of mine said, who was once very, very involved in the church, I haven't been to church since last May. Wow. We waver, we stray, we crumble. Maybe you heard yourself say, I am so tired. I'm just tired. Get home late, get up early. Commute traffic is getting worse, not enough family time, not enough exercise, not enough me time, and the first thing to go often is God time, because nobody's going to ask you if you went to church or not, and nobody's going to ask you if you spent any time in the Word or spent any time in prayer. You don't intend it that way, but we crumble, we waver, we stray, and the rest of the Bible is about this mixed response to God. Sometimes trust sometimes obedience, and then also rebellion, and also disobedience, and also distrust, a lot of distrust, and deciding to trust in ourselves instead, which is called 
sin. But this is the good news. Our mixed response to God's love does not change who God is. God keeps initiating. God keeps calling. God keeps inviting. God keeps moving toward us in love, in incredible transforming love, creating relationship. I love this one sentence, and I, also, I wasn't going to use the word because it was like a Josh Rowley word. It was really big. But I'm going to read it anyway, and I'm going to invite you that have dictionary.com to look it up on your smartphones, or you can tell me the definition if you're already that smart. God overcomes our recalcitrance. There's the Josh Rowley word. God overcomes our recalcitrance by embracing it. Okay, who knows what recalcitrance means? Should I ask these high school teachers? <laughs> oh, they teach math. Okay, they teach math. No recalcitrance over there, no. Does anybody know what recalcitrance means? Un unwillingness or, or uh, hesitation. Or, 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 or it's, it's more unwilling. Unwillingness, yeah, yeah. hesitation. Has anybody looked it up on their smartphone? No? Cheryl did? She's saying, be quiet, gay. <laughs> it is resistance to authority. It is a difficult person to deal with. And doesn't God get that from us? Don't tell me what to do. Oh, hello, even though it's God who loves us and knows what's best. But how does God overcome this? Overcomes our recalcitrance by embracing it in Jesus Christ. This is the good news for us. Jesus wrapping God's arms around us, calling us home, the very answer to the prayer that the Vitas family had, not only for their daughter, it's really for all of us, right? So finally, in Genesis 1, I hope you heard this, the accent is on the subject of every sentence, and only God is ever the subject of the verb to create in the Hebrew. The accent is on God. God said, let there be, and there was. I want you all right now to take out the hymn book and turn to page 430. You are mine, because this song is really important. It's really what we need to grow in, in our beginnings, understanding our beginnings in God's love, and being sustained in the reality that we belong to God and we belong to God's love. So I want you to open up your hymn books, number 430, while the choir comes up to lead us. You are mine. And I want you to notice the chorus is on the right-hand side. It's called the refrain. Just, I'm going to borrow yours, Jason. Thanks. Do not be afraid. This is God speaking to each one of us. I am with you. I have called you each by name. Think of Jesus calling each of the disciples by name. Come and follow me. I will bring you home. I love you, and you are mine. First two verses we will sing back to back, then the refrain, and then verse and refrain. So let's stand and sing this. <laughs> 